a lot of the creativity sort of comes from the complexity of these things as well. Hi everyone, welcome and thank you for joining me. My name is Franco Verano and I'll be your host for the Tech Plus Art podcast. Tech Plus Art is the community for curious individuals and creators who are looking to make a dent in the universe. Together, we're exploring the new frontiers of creativity, humanity, and how emerging technologies will continue to shape our culture, professions, products, and much more. Join me on this journey as we speak with artists, makers, researchers, designers, and creators from all backgrounds and fields. Tech Plus Art is an inclusive community, and we make our content for you. So we want to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, topics you'd like us to explore or contribute to yourself, reach out to us on Twitter or via the website. You can check us out at maketechart.com or at maketechart everywhere else. So with that out of the way, let's get to today's episode. Today I'm joined by Espen Kluge, a composer, visual artist, and coder. Espen joins us to share more about his story from dealing with bipolarism to creating with the structure to exploring new aesthetics with code and more. Recently, his generative art series, Alternatives, was featured in a gallery opening with Kate Voss in Switzerland. Getting the chance to record this episode with Espen was fantastic and provided a unique insight into the creative mind and an important conversation around mental health and creativity. So let's jump right in. Hi, Espen. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It's my pleasure. Likewise, I'm super excited to have a chance to speak with you and learn more about your story, your perspective on creating and creativity, and some of your most recent work in the generative art space. But before we get into all that, can you share a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? Well, I'm from Norway, West Coast, so it's rainy. I grew up doing a lot of music stuff, so not really a lot of uh, visual art stuff. So I started in music and I still work in music. And uh, I think it was a, you know, around the, in my mid-20s where I sort of started getting seriously interested in programming, but not programming itself, but what projects I could sort of fulfill and work on through learning how to program. And I, I remember deeply underestimating how challenging <laughs> learning how to program was because I thought, and I think also somewhere, website sort of lured me into thinking that it would be a really easy thing to learn the language that I was trying to learn, which was uh, at that time Objective-C to create an iPhone app that I invented. So I thought that would take about a week from <laughs> from starting, but it, it took many years and it took many years to finish that app as well. But it was a really fun experience. And But the uphill battle was... Uh, it was the steepest hill I've ever climbed, I think. So, but it's a lot of fun. And I think it's made me humble towards technology and media, but also there might be a strength in that, you know, realizing that things is going to be really hard. So when you start a project, you might be a little bit more realistic as to how much work it's really going to be. So I think I'm sort of eating the fruits of that kind of hard experience these years now that I'm sort of past that. But I, I, I still yeah. don't feel that I'm a very proficient expert programmer. The people that I might follow on, on Twitter or see doing tutorials on YouTube and stuff. They're just beyond my understanding. But in my practice, I sort of thrive when I don't understand everything anyway. That goes also for what I'm doing in the music making process, you know. I kind of like being in that sort of chaotic, uh, I don't know what I'm doing sort of type of state. So although I, I would wish, obviously, that programming and, and coding would be very natural to me. I don't think it is, but it, it doesn't really matter. That's super interesting. And we're going to explore that, you know, a bit further in, in just a little while. But with your start in music, then learning how to code, and now branching over into generative art, how did that all happen? What made you decide to pursue this exploration or particular path? Uh, well, I did a, a bit of a, a road crossing at some point because, as I told you, when I learned to, to program, it was because I wanted to create a specific app. I had this idea of a new sort of way to uh, improvise a melody over a chord progression. So I thought, well, this is a pretty cool idea. And I started making this app. And so that was the point where 
I crossed over from doing music stuff into sort of music technology. I was a composer before that, and I still am. And then I, I went into sort of making something that other people can use to compose their own music. And now I'm sort of on the other side where I'm working with both pure visual programming and, and then I'm also working with, with music in a more traditional way. So my music isn't, isn't really sort of technology influenced at all. There's a, another story. There was a point where, where I thought uh, that I was going to make a, a website for myself to sort of try to present what I'm doing. And uh, I wanted to make it cool and interactive and sort of uh, try to learn something in the process of making that website as well. It was in a time where I was really interested in learning about programming. And so I thought, well, I'm going to make an interactive, a cool interactive logo for my website. And I wanted to be able to put the mouse over a little logo and be able to pull on some nodes. And so that the logo, which is a picture of my face, would be warped. So it would basically be like a warp tool in, in Photoshop. So I started doing that and I had a lot of trouble executing it properly. So I sort of put that project a little bit aside. But um, when I had some time, like maybe after a month and a half year after, I sort of just dabbled a little bit with it. That became my sort of my second project where it taught me a lot of stuff about just basic visual, like programming in visual context. And uh, that's actually what ended up as my latest project, which I recently had a gallery. It's the generative art portraiture series called Alternatives. So that was, a, that was a bridge. Technically, I started that project about eight or nine years ago, which was around the time where I was, I was learning to program. That's very cool. And so just a few questions to push a statement you made a few moments ago. When you mentioned thriving in a chaotic, creative environment, alternating between knowing and not knowing certain aspects of the project, how do you get into that state? How do you manage to still be productive in the sense that you don't get lost? And since you have a background in creating music as well as scripts for code-based art, is the state sort of the same for both mediums or does your approach change depending on what you're making? Yeah, that's a, that's a really hard question, I think. And I would like to think that everyone who is doing stuff like creative programming, creative or making music or being an artist, you know, it's, it's hard to pinpoint the time where you get an idea where it comes from and what the process from the idea to sort of the first prototype of that idea is. But I think the, the best sort of cue for me is, is when I sort of dive in on a sort of a general subject. And that subject might be a chord progression or it might be a, an idea of something that I want to do visually on a, in a script or something like that. And, and then instead of being very goal-oriented and sketching out the, what the result might be in a sort of a static Photoshop sketch, it's more like I just see where it takes me and try to take advantage of the opportunities that, that coincidences uh, create. So I like to take some code that I find that's really interesting and change it and maybe inform my own programming in, in that way. And but not necessarily trying to understand all of the underlying aspect of the programming. I found out that I thrive best in working that way through trying to learn programming in a very deep and thorough way from the beginning. And I found myself sort of not being happy in, in how quickly I progress. And uh, I don't have a very mathy way of thinking. And I'm not terribly good at math, but uh, I try to use that as a strength. And in uh, composing music as well, I feel better when I'm thinking about something and making a sketch. And then it feels less natural when I'm preparing it to be played by an orchestra, for example, or something like that. So it's just the theory and the pragmatic stuff is harder for me than the idea stuff, I think. But I like that, though. I like the struggle, too. That's where a lot of the magic happens. So how do you not get frustrated with that creative struggle? Are there any tips on how to navigate that? I don't know. It's, uh, well, you know, honestly... I, uh, I'm bipolar and I don't, I really don't mind talking about this and feel free to put it in the, the podcast if you want, but I'm bipolar. So I go through these 
phases where, well, I used to, because now I'm really well medicated, but I used to go through phases of hypomania, which means that you get all of this energy and all of this motivation. It might not make you smarter or better at thinking, but it makes your motivation just go a thousand percent, right? So if you have an idea, you're never going to stop until you sort of meet some sort of goal, right? So that has been the spark of a lot of my uh, projects. It's been sort of the beginning of, of some of my projects. And, you know, there's a downside to that as well. But that's the upside really, really is that you thrive in these chaotic states, right? My GitHub account and uh, when I was younger, graph where you're, you're committing to the repo, the, that little graph just went high up when I went through these uh, episodes and then went down again when I felt normal again. So I think that that's been a, a factor in this. I don't think my personality would be naturally inclined to, to be a programmer if, if it wasn't for my diagnosis, basically. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for being so open and transparent and speaking about this in this way. I mean, I definitely think that mental health still isn't talked enough about and know it's difficult for us to deal with and we all kind of do it in different ways or, or to different degrees. So I'm glad to hear that you've had a positive outcome and are somehow able to channel that energy and focus into your creativity. But since you're so receptive to sharing about, you know, being bipolar and, and part of my ignorance, but can you tell us a little bit more about your journey to get to this point and what role bipolarism has played in your daily life and workflow? And what's it like, you know, quote unquote, living with it, as you've said, if you will? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question as well, because as I said earlier, I'm really well medicated now. And bipolar is, is the opposite of being stable in terms of energy and uh, being a positively minded and negatively minded, being high, sort of like being really happy and being low, being sort of depressive. And, and those states gives you something that you don't have when you're in the middle of the whole thing, right? So I've experienced those highs and lows for so many years. And now that they're gone, it's uh, the way that I like to think about it is that, well, I've learned something and it's up to me to sort of bring that with me into my creative life in the best way. And I think I'm doing that, but I find myself thriving better in um, working in a really systematic way. So every day I've got my very systematic lists that I go through and I wouldn't be able to do that before. But chaotic way of thinking and getting ideas from left and right and a sort of feeling that I can do anything that's totally gone, but uh, I don't feel a lack of good ideas or, or I don't feel a lack of having motivation and doing creative stuff at all. It is different, but I don't think it's more negative or less creative. But a lot of people in my situation who are creative or productive people feel that they lose some of that when they go into medication. But I, I don't really feel less uh, productive. And quite honestly, I wouldn't be able to have a good life regardless of creative work. I wouldn't be able to have a good life without being medicated, I don't think. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought that up because I definitely think there is a concern, especially in the creative community, that you know seeking some form of treatment for mental health could lead to a loss of creativity. Obviously, it's very different for everyone, but it's encouraging to hear from your experience and your perspective on it. And I think that that message is a very important one for others to hear. This is not even a big, you know, it's not a big deal for me at all, the bipolar thing. I've worked a lot with youths that have different types of problems with drugs and with mental health and, and stuff like that. I think it's cool to be open with it because so many people struggle with it and don't know how to sort of go about in the world talking about it, even though it's, it's such a big part of their life. So it's cool too. But for me, it was sort of like coming to terms with maybe being creative or having the most awesome career isn't, isn't the most important thing in the world. And I think I have to say that out of necessity because I couldn't be bipolar without medication. I, I couldn't go on like that. 
So mm-hmm. there, there was no way. And now I'm living a more normal, uh, normal life. And I'm, as I said, I, I'm trying to compensate by being uh, as systematic as, as possible. And I can say something about that if you want. Yeah, definitely. What is that system? Well, uh, it's uh, I have a list every day that I go through. And it, it's more detailed than I think most people's sort of lists are. It's a list over uh, all of the things that I have to go through through my day to sort of make my life feel like it's uh, having all of these uh, cool creative aspects uh, involved in, in my life, you know? So... So uh, every day I practice piano for half an hour and I practice violin for half an hour. I'm not a violinist, but I'm learning that from the, from the start. So that's sort of a new project that I'm trying to, well, learning something new is a magical thing. You know, you get to be in that chaotic state where you don't know anything and you're just trying to figure it out. So I really like to, I really like to do stuff like that. And uh, also in the list, there's like doing um, some physical activity and uh, food is involved in there. So it's all of these almost like two detailed lists so that I always know what to do. And that's a part of, you know, the therapy that you have to go through on your bipolar as well, because these are things that are really, well, they're more important for us with this diagnosis than most other people. Because it's the only way you can sort of stabilize your life is uh, to have routines. That's yeah. the first rule of being bipolar in a, in a way that doesn't make your life miserable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And again, I'm very happy to hear that you've managed to find a positive outcome and this perspective on it and how you're able to share so openly with others. And so how does that all funnel back into your generative art project and the reason art gallery showing? Can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to make generative portraiture? In 2013, I did uh, an everyday project, which was uh, just, I think it was Cinema 4D mostly and a little bit of 3D Studio Max I was working with. And I thought, well, I'm going to do an everyday project at that time. And, and I tried to do it as a, as a way of being creative, but not taking too much time. So I tried to make it very quick, but it escalated into this thing where the first 30 I really did in an hour, but the next 10 I spent like two or three hours on them and, and then it escalated and I ended up doing like once per week, but I would work on it every day and it would just consume too much time. And so I stopped that and I got some some cool feedback from that and, and I sold some of those works and that sort of got me thinking that the next time I want to make sure that I don't go too far with consuming my time. And I also want to do it in a just a totally different format. But I, I found out in January that I wanted to use this script that I'd created ages ago to instead of just being a logo in a, in a HTML5 canvas thing on my website, maybe I could um, expand on it and make it into some sort of portraiture generative art type of thing because I'd not really seen any portraiture in generative art at that point and and I thought that this script was capable of some pretty cool things and I had some ideas as to how to expand on it so in January I just spent a lot of time sort of playing around with it and the first uh, portraits that I did came out okay and then I thought well I'm just going to continue and doing one every day and after 10 more and 20 more I started sort of getting a little bit more comfortable with the process and and it ended up me defining that well it has to end at some point so I, I'm just going to do 100 from number one to number 100 you know it was a real adventure I'd say just trying to figure out the aesthetical sort of preferences that I might have and just going into different avenues and challenging myself in terms of well I got some feedback some saying oh I, I really like the sparse type of just simple lines maybe a very few lines that abstracts the portrait very much and some people like the portraits that had millions of details and, and so I tried to sort of 
explore those contrasts and add a little bit to the script to make more variation. And I just had a, a lot of fun with it. But when I was getting closer to 100, I understood that, okay, this is this is going to be the, the end of this output of this script anyway. There might be more output in the future. But um, at this point, that series of portraits, which are called uh, alternatives, is finished. So what was your process in terms of building that first version of the script and then modifying it based on the feedback or aesthetic effects? How did you mix code and design to achieve your vision? You're touching on something that's got to do with the generative concept, right? Because you're not the only person making this art. The computers is sort of partner or it's a curator or something like that. So part of the process that I'm using in my in this project is is that I make maybe 20 different versions of each portrait and I have these random elements and I have some custom elements that are different for each of the versions and I just generate them and have a look at each one of them so it's sort of like a lineup and I get to choose which one that I like and that's a really cool process because I'm not calculating that much I'm just sort of I get to be um, an audience And I just, I I get to go into a gallery that I've created together with someone and I get to sort of critique it myself and say, well, I like this, I don't like this one. The most successful ones in terms of which ones I like the best are just total coincidences. The coolness of that piece is not generated by me. It's just a script that did something random that really turned out cool looking. So you see how that question is sort of hard to explain, but in this way, it's sort of is the best way to explain it. I, I really like to work together with the computer because it's so it, it's random. In music, I have this problem and it's I work, for example, a piano piece or something like that for 10 minutes. And my ears sort of get so used to it that I'm biased. I can't really figure out something new anymore because it's, I've listened to it so many times and I've measured all the options for what next chord progressions might be. So I'm sort of locked into this way of thinking that I can't get out of. So it's like sort of a writer's block. And I, you get this with art, all artists and poets or whatever. So I solved that problem in music with having maybe 10 different pieces that I'm working with all together. And then I spend five minutes on each. So after five minutes, I go to the next one and then I go to the next. And it might take two hours before I go back to the first one again. So I feel that I get fresh ideas every time. That's what you can do with generative art as well. You can uh, work together with the generative part of the the visual art in a way that you get to be creative all the time by having the computer sort of present to you some sort of magical variable that you might not have come up with yourself. That's very cool. And so can you touch on a little bit more what the actual gallery showing experience was like for you? Well, a couple of months ago, three three or four months ago, a guy called Jason from a blog called Art Gnome called me up. We did an interview and he wrote something about my art and he was uh, putting it into contexts that I hadn't thought about at all. And because for me, it's more of an experiment and a sort of a playground and not really sort of putting it into an, in a fine art context uh, so much that he did. That was pretty fun. After that, Art Gnome was a partner with the Kate Bass Gallery. So he put me together with her and uh, we did a... Um uh, we had some conversations thinking about her uh, wanting to represent this series. So we did go ahead with that and ended up with uh, having a gallery opening now in um, in Switzerland uh, at her gallery called Kate Bass Gallery. And uh, so the alternative series is 100 portraits and 15 of them are printed and uh, is available in uh, unique editions in three different sizes. And all of them also are available for sale on, on the blockchain. Awesome. And so what do you have planned for the next phase of the project since you mentioned that the output of this version of the script is about 100 portraits? Are you planning to expand it right away? Definitely. I'm going to continue doing uh, doing more generative stuff. 
I haven't locked down something very concrete yet, but w- what I think I might lean towards is uh, using this script in um, either generating files for embroidery machines, experiment with something like that. I've done some research, but I haven't really figured out a very good way forward in that. But uh, you know, I'm really, I'm really interested in the possibilities of sort of exporting, printing this into uh, some sort of interesting format. Also, uh, thought about doing uh, em- like embroidery based on stuff that I make with the with the script, but doing it manually, which is going to take a lot of time <laughs> because I use about 20 minutes to an hour to create one portrait and if i'm going to do it manually with actual canvas and needle and thread it's going to take probably a month to do one so it's going to be a bit of a contrast but i think it will be cool to sort of try to change the output into something totally different and also 3d is a, is a way to go this isn't the output of the script obviously is a svg file which is vector format so it can sort of be played around with in the 3d context so i've uh, considered porting it into python for use in houdini it's the 3d program that's also an option i've i've looked into it a little bit and it looks really cool but my problem with that is i know very little about that world yet and I don't know anything about Python yet either. But I think that could be something to be experimenting with in the, in the future. But then again, I want to plan it out a little bit before I start something so that I know that I, w- I will actually get somewhere. Yeah, it sounds super cool. And so maybe it's a little too soon to ask, or maybe you can add in a perspective from your previous work on the first app that enabled others to make music. But what do you think is missing in terms of tools to empower other creators, including yourself? What's missing from your workflow? A lot of people are trying to simplify something, programming, they're trying to simplify generative art making. I don't think that's a necessarily a bad idea to do something like that, trying to, to create a, like a node-based interface or something like that. There's a lot of, a lot of node-based stuff that's awesome, by the way, but a lot of the creativity sort of comes from the complexity of these things as well, I think. Well, for me, that's correct anyway. It might not be that for other people. And I think that's valid for me because it gets to sort of be in a sort of in a chaotic and kind of complex world where not everything is really simple. But uh, as for what the future might be or what the future could be in an optimal scenario with, with the stuff like creative coding and using programming in a creative way, I think the best way to approach creative generative art is through programming and learning a language. Learning something like JavaScript is so valuable. I don't work professionally with coding, but I do use it. I do use it. And I, and I love to be able to think about how software is made when I'm using software. There's value to it on many levels. Even just learning about how a computer sort of thinks is cool. It helps you. Absolutely. I completely agree. And so as a way to cap off this amazing conversation and as a way to come back to the topic of mental health, is there any advice that you would share with other creatives or a younger version of yourself, especially around any concerns about mental health and finding your path as a creative? My sort of creative projects hasn't necessarily had their birth from wanting to have this great product or result where I can show this to the world. So it's it's been more sort of a, a way to, to hide myself, a nice space to hide myself. And I guess this would be relative to people in a way. You have to have motivation. If you have motivation to do something, you'll find a way. Everyone has their own way to get into it, you know? For me, it was just like trying to get rid of some chaos. I just tried to sort of immerse myself in a world where I could sort of at least try to live with the chaos somehow. My mental health issues is thriving in that sort of scenario. I think perhaps people without those challenges might feel that they want to learn programming or learn some of these techniques in a more thorough from A to Z way. And I think 
probably that's the best way to go if you don't have this uh, desire to be in a chaotic world where you don't understand anything. But it, I think it's a good idea, I think, is to try to break stuff. Try to get in over your head sometimes. Look at some code you don't even understand. Try to run it and just try to change something in it and see what happens. And good to get get away a little bit from the conventions, even in something as strict as uh, learning a programming language. Definitely. I think that's amazing advice. Espen, thank you again for your time and openness with your story. I know that this is going to be a very inspirational and very helpful to others. So thank you again. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Tech Plus Art Podcast. We're a very small team behind this project, so we greatly appreciate all your support. If you love our content and these podcasts, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or two. This really does go a long way in helping us get discovered and reach more creators. As always, you can find us online at maketechart.com and at maketechart everywhere else. See you soon.